0: In every pair of Tacovas boots, you can expect handmade quality, first-wear comfort, and timeless western style. Tacovas boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles visit tecovas.com that's t-e-c-o-v-a-s.com and don't go gently y'all fishing like
1: a local isn't just about catching fish it's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home it's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. You know, he knows okay, so we got to pick this variety now. They usually do like one picking and then they'll go back through in a couple days and pick more depending on how many how many peaches we have that year. It it can be a a week-long process of picking one variety and then move to another or vice versa depending on what varieties we need. We have like one variety we really like to ship out to grocery stores because it packs well.
0: Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host Trevor Williams and today on the show we have Angie McMullen from McMullen Orchards based out of Utah. So McMullen Orchards grows a whole bunch of stuff like apples, pears, peaches, cherries, nectarines, um, the list goes on. And so Angie's going to tell us about her family orchard, who started it, how it's been going, and their whole production system. And it's really interesting because, you know, fruit trees have to be minimum, sometimes of like three to four years old before they start producing fruit. And so you can imagine that there is a lot of planning that goes into an orchard because if one tree dies, if it's old, you know, you've hopefully got to plan ahead and have multiple trees to take over. So it's really cool learning about the whole process of that, how they schedule it. And Angie's going to tell us, you know, if they are organic or if they're conventional and her whole thought process there, as well as what it's been like to educate consumers, especially over on Instagram, as she tries to build up their following And Be sure to check out their Instagram page. It's super pretty. They have a lot of really cool pictures. Of their produce and stuff like that. Um, that will be linked in the description of this podcast. So, anyway, hope you really enjoy this episode with Angie McMullen from McMullen Orchards. And this is episode 80. We are slowly getting closer to 100. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy this episode about fruits. Um, I'm actually going to go eat an apple right now. We have a few apples. Granny Smith. Um, Allie, what's that other apple you like? Mm-hmm. Honeycrisp. And Honeycrisp apples; those are the best. Okay, time to listen to Angie talk about fruits. <laughs> Enjoy this episode. Thank you so much for listening. All right, well, Angie, welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. How are you doing?
1: Good. How are you?
0: I'm good, thank you. I am with you are with McMullen Orchards, which I'm excited to talk with you. I don't think we've had many orchards on the show. And so you guys it seems like you have a wide variety of products that you guys grow. And so kind of tell us your background and kind of the background of McMullen Orch- Orchards.
1: Okay, so um let's see. I think it was my it would be my great-grandpa started it in 1927. Um his name was Robert Wallace McMullen and he planted sweet cherries then. And then it just kind of, you know, after that it was my grandpa who they kinda it was during the depression, I know they bought a lot of land then and they just started planting more things. It started out with sweet cherries and then they started growing pie cherries and apples and peaches and it just kept growing and then it got to my dad and his there's well, his siblings that when they were young, they all worked on the farm. And my grandpa was the Payson City attorney. So he basically had them working on the farm and he had a full-time job that he was busy at. And so it started with them and they are the ones who've kind of, I guess, taken over. And now this day there's four of my, there's my dad and three of his siblings who are still working. And then my my two brothers are full-time on the farm and my uncle has two kids who are also full-time on the farm. And then there's a lot of us that kind of do work when we can and help where we can.
0: Well, gotcha. Well, that's not bad at all. Um, So tell us a little bit about what kind of trees you guys have and what's that whole process like of of growing them, picking them and kind of how does that look?
1: So we, we grow um, pie cherries, sweet cherries, peaches, apples, nectarines, and then pluots. But um, I guess the, we, everything we harvest by hand besides pie cherries, those we mechanically harvest and those are Probably the greatest crop that we, the biggest crop that we grow. I would say, majority, we farm around 900 acres, and the majority of it is, a lot of it is pie cherries. And then those, so those trees don't last as long. We have to replace those about like every 25 years, and they don't start producing until seven years in. Oh, wow. So it's, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Everything, like everything that we harvest by hand, we can start harvesting like four or five years, but the pie cherries, we can't start shaking them until they're about seven years old.
0: Okay. So those are pie cherries. Do you mean, are those used specifically for, I mean, for pies and baking or what's the whole deal there with pie cherries?
1: Um, a lot of it in Utah is we do a lot of dried cherries also. They do, We there's a company, there's another, there's lots, a lot of farmers right here in uh, Utah County that we there's a lot of us that grow pie cherries and I would say the a lot of them are made into dried cherries and then there are some that are also made for pies. We just sell them basically frozen as pie cherries and then they go to wherever they're gonna do whatever that with them. So we 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 harvest them and process them, pit them, sort them, no stems, and put them in buckets or we have an IQF machine that freezes them individually. And so we do all of that in right after, you know, they come off the trees.
0: Right. Okay. Well, real quick. What does what the mechanical process look like of picking them? Because I know one of my favorite things to watch are um, videos of collecting almonds whenever they use those mechanical shakers. And it's so funny because you uh-huh. have this huge contraption hooking up to a tree and it just shakes the tree violently. And then you have all these almonds fall down. So is it kind of like that?
1: Yep, it's like that, but we have to have a, we call it a, a conveyor, but a lot of people call it a pan or a catcher on the other side of the road that catches all the cherries and then they put them into a bin of ice water. It's cold, well, cold water, and then the tractors take it to the plant. So we constantly have tractors bringing bins of water.
0: <laughs> oh, gotcha. That's pretty neat. Um, so y'all also have apples, pears, stuff like that. Do you grow one or two varieties of each or what's kind of going on there? Do you have a bunch of different varieties?
1: Yeah, we have a lot of different varieties. Like, for example, peaches, we have probably, I don't know, anywhere from 10 to 15 varieties. And we have to have them because we do sell commercially. So we sell a lot of our, a lot of our fruit can go to grocery stores. And so we have to have them, you know, we can only have so many employees, pickers that the the, the peaches have to come on at different times. A lot of people will say, well, what's the difference in these type of peaches? And a lot of it is just the time it gets ripe.
0: Oh, wow. You okay. Know?
1: So we have to have them. Um, we, we, we have peach season for probably, I don't know, six weeks. I would six to eight weeks, depending on the year. Like this year, we only had half a crop because we had a a late freeze this spring and the whole state the whole state of utah actually only had 15% of its peaches this year compared to normal years. Oh,
0: only 15%? Wow.
1: Yeah. The whole state had a pretty rough go with peaches this year. Oh, wow,
0: that's insane. Um yeah. That, I mean, are you guys kind of hoping to recoup that next year or or what?
1: Yeah, this year it was like it was nice this year because I feel like with covid a lot of people were canning, so it was I feel like we didn't have as much waste this year obviously because we didn't have as many but we also have people like searching for fruit.
0: <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I, I found a lot more people are like looking to buy it locally during the whole COVID thing, which yeah. is super cool. They're like wanting to, to support local farmers or even just farmers across the country. So that's really neat. Um, yes. So you brought up something picking. So the peach season is only six weeks. So I've always found it really neat that like tomato growers, for example, will pick the tomatoes before they get ripe. And then they'll ripen up during the whole shipping process. So, are peaches and apples kind of similar to that, or are they picked like right when they get ripe, so they last pretty long on the shelves?
1: Um, I'd say that the peaches we pick, we pick them pretty green. My it's funny because my dad, he's the he's you know one of the farmers. It's my dad and my uncle who pretty much farm, and then my other uncles like over our packing plant, and then my aunt is like the accountant, does all the Bills and she takes I guess she runs everything, but <laughs> um, so my dad he's he's because he doesn't even eat peaches, the only thing he eats is apples, and he'll eat a few uh he likes hard cherries, he'll suck on them when they're green or whatever, but he doesn't really eat much of the fruit he even grows he's very he's
0: picky <laughs> everybody's got their. So
1: he thing. Yeah. He doesn't like go out and taste a peach and okay, these are ready to pick. He actually looks for sugar amounts in them. And he tests for, it's called the bricks. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. So he has a little device that tells him how much sugar is in in them. And then he kind of goes off that one. He, I mean, now granted he's been doing it for how long he's 60 so he's been doing it for over 40 years he, he knows
0: <laughs> that's so cool yeah he, he's been doing it for so long he just knows when he takes a bite out of a peach he doesn't like it but he knows that sugar content then he knows what to taste for that's so cool
1: no he actually doesn't even taste them. he just has a little machine that tells him how much sugar's in it
0: oh well shoot well that's even better that's so cool though all yeah. the science that goes into it. So he
1: does that, and then he just, you know, he knows. Okay, so we got to pick this variety now. They usually do like one picking, and then they'll go back through in a couple of days and pick more, depending on how many how many peaches we have that year. It it can be a, a week long process of picking one variety and then move to another or vice versa, depending on what varieties we need. We have like one variety we really like to ship out to grocery stores because it packs well.
0: Oh, okay. And it doesn't
1: you know, it doesn't bruise easy. Those are called Sweet Dream peaches. We pick. We do a lot of those. So this year, actually, all of those froze. So it was bad.
0: Oh, man, I can imagine. I mean, so when a freeze is coming through, I know down here in Florida, it's super rare that we have freezes, especially in central Florida, where a lot of oranges are grown. And I didn't know this, but apparently they so they'll sprinkle them with water before the freeze so that it kind of creates a shield um, around the oranges Uh so it doesn't like freeze them. So do you guys do something kind of similar or what do you kind of do to fight freezes out there?
1: Um, we have wind machines that we have to, my dad, we have little, I don't know, thermometer stations, weather stations, I guess, throughout the orchard that they can kind of, they give my dad alarms if it's going to get, if it's getting cold and he goes out and turns on all of our wind machines and they create a a wind cycle because there's going to be warm air sitting below the trees and then the cold air is above. So it kind of helps to mix up the air because just a few degrees can can change the whole outlook of a frost of a freeze
0: oh wow I can imagine yeah I'm looking at it right now on your Instagram page so McMullen Orchards on Instagram you've got you've got such a great profile I mean you kind of highlight what you guys do all the products all the cherries peaches and everything and um, you even have the video of that little shaker thing getting the cherries off the tree so that's really (laughs) cool I'm gonna go back and watch that one over and over again um, that's so cool, so I noticed that on here you guys have one post where you have bees come in um i've I didn't know that was a thing, but apparently shipping bees across the country to pollinate um orchards is a thing, so how is that going for you guys? Do you all have like one specific bee farmer that you partner with, or how does that work
1: um i I know for sure of one, but I don't think we only use one like I know my uncle uses different bee beehives I guess and then I know there's a couple that my dad uses and so yeah we have to I always it's when I go I help teach um at farm we do a farm field days here and we teach second graders all about farming like we have a bunch of stations and one of them we do is orchards and we always I always tell them do you know we have to rent bees
0: (laughs) (laughs) I bet they're like what a lot of
1: people don't think of that but there's not you know there's not enough bees in to to pollinate 900 acres of orchards. So, yeah, we have to go out and get the, and you know, they, the, if they, uh, go out and say, make another, what is it called? A swarm, then the, the beehive, the guy will come and just take that swarm out. And we've had that happen a few times, but yeah, it's been, I always tell my dad like, why do we have bees? We have so many orchards. We should raise bees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: That'd be a win-win for you guys. That's super cool. So we're trying, this is season two of the show and I'm trying to do kind of a little dive into like organic versus conventional agriculture. And so what, what do you guys do? Do you do organic? Do you conventional or do you do a mix of both? Or what do you guys kind of do?
1: We only, we, we can't say that we are organic, but it's funny because I get this question a lot. Are you guys organic? And I usually will ask somebody, what do you mean organic? Organic. And their first response is always that you don't use spray. That's I feel like a lot of people are mis miss I don't know what do you call it. Not informed. Yeah, kinda of misinformed. Of what yeah. Organic mm-hmm. means. Yes. And so I you know, like we do use some products that are organic. But we use more we use synthetic also. One of the misconceptions I guess that I struggle with with people who don't understand farming is spray is expensive. And we're not out there. I think people think that farmers are out there just dousing their crops in spray. Like, oh, I just got to, you know, put the spray. Like we have to coat everything in spray. And it's, it's not that we, we don't use an ounce more than we have to. And if, if people saw like our spray tanks, like we put in like, I don't know, what is it? Four to eight cups of spray. And then it's like. 60 gallons of water
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah the ratio there is crazy i mean there's such a small amount of spray and that's something that i've heard kind of over and over again from different farmers they're like people think we spray every day but it's super duper expensive so of course we're not going to do that we're only going to spray when we absolutely have to so i feel like that like you said that's a very popular popular misconception out there
1: yes well and like my you know like we have to use sunscreen on our apples for example And there's a synthetic version that you can't see, or my dad actually likes the organic version. And it's basically a calcium that they put on the apples to protect them from the sun. And so when we, if we don't brush them real good before we take them to the market or whatever, people are always like, is that spray I can see? (laughs) And he's like, well, it's a spray sunscreen, but it's actually organic. So it's it's always funny to me when people ask if we're organic, because I really think that they just mean they want something that's not sprayed and that's pretty much you're gonna have worms if you don't spray them with something. <laughs> and I'm a part of the Farm Bureau here and they've taken me, you know, to like classes and I guess conventions and things where I've learned a lot that there's like five hundred different kinds of spray that are classified as organic. So that's I you know, like there's pretty much even organic farms, they have to use spray.
0: That's a very good point I, I'm writing that down I didn't know that there's over like five hundred organic sprays that's that's crazy I mean I believe it um that's such a good point though if you don't if you don't spray you're gonna eat an a- an apple that has a worm in it like the old cartoons and I mean it's, yeah it's, and,
1: it's, you know not only that like there's a lot of there's a lot of sprays that we use that are for the trees to keep the trees healthy besides the fruit you know there's a lot of things like nitrates and stuff that we have to use to make sure that the trees are healthy and they stay green and it's not all about just spraying for bugs and same with fertilizer you know we have to use synthetic fertilizer rather than going and finding manure or something somewhere but that's also a reason why we're not organic
0: (laughs) right yeah no i can imagine so going off that a little bit so You were saying some trees, like I think apple trees or or peach trees, it takes seven years for them to produce. So do you guys kind of think ahead? Like you're thinking, all right, this tree is going to die in about three or four years. We need to plant X number of trees. So you're kind of thinking ahead about when you're going to plant the next couple of trees so that they can produce seven years in the future?
1: Yeah, my dad, I know that my dad, he has like spreadsheets of, okay, this is when this this block was planted. So we're going to be ripping that one out. And, you know, I know that he has a process the way he does it. But yeah, he's always planning for what he's going to uh, be planning next, what's going to be ripped out next or (laughs) vice versa.
0: (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Always got to be one step ahead. That's funny. Um,
1: Yes. Yes.
0: So you've kind of already mentioned it, kind of some big misconceptions out there that you feel consumers have. What are some ways that you think farmers can kind of do a better job at bridging that gap? I mean, I've seen a lot of people go on social media. You guys seem like you have a really good social media channel kind of showing what you guys do. So what do you think farmers can do to kind of bridge that miscommunication gap between farmers and consumers?
1: My biggest thing is I think the consumers need to be more engaged with their local farmers to understand Like there's, there's lots of times that I, I like, I'm the one who runs our social media, me and my cousin kind of do both um, the Facebook and Instagram. And I always think, you know, anything I post, I, I don't want people to be like, to get confused with misconceptions. So I'm always trying to think, okay, I would love to teach them more about spray, but I feel like there's so much misconception. I would rather like when people come to the farmer's market, I always am trying to educate I guess kind of more on the matter where you know like I said my a big thing for me has always been my dad's a farmer if he'll pick an apple and wipe it off on his pants and hand it to my kids to eat then it's I I believe my dad that it's safe you know there's obviously spray you spray and then there's like so many days until you can enter the orchard again and you know like that as far as safety for employees and things like that but that's. I think that the best way to bridge that is for people to really reach out to local producers and ask questions or go on a tour of a farm and see for yourself the way things are done.
0: I like that. That's a very good point. And that's such a good point with your dad. I mean, he he knows what goes on with the with the apple production. He knows what the spraying is like. He knows everything. And so if he is trusting it to, or if he's trustworthy enough, you should trust them, and the average consumer should. And so I think that's a really good point. And, that, and I've found like a lot of our, I'd say like of the listeners of this show, like 60% are farmers and 40% are consumers. And of those consumers, I'd say a lot are slowly finding farmers on social media. And they're like, actually, I want to learn how my steak is made or how um, apples are grown or grapes or anything. And they're finding those farmers and ranchers. And they're like, oh, actually, I didn't know that this is all that goes into it. And this is all that. Like organic, like we were saying earlier, organic actually does spray. And so I'm thinking that more and more consumers are going to see what goes on in the farm. And it's a good thing. And so I know social media gets a lot of a bad rap, but it's allowing a lot of people to kind of share their stories. So I think that's really cool, especially you guys. I mean, just looking at your Instagram makes me really hungry for like peaches and apples and cherries and all that stuff.
1: (laughs) Good. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what would you say? I mean, do you have any advice for any consumer that like goes to a store and they're looking for like the perfect apple or the perfect pear or anything that's going to last super long or it's going to be super sweet? Do you have any advice on any things to look for?
1: Uh, yeah, if you if you can't get it locally, obviously locally would be the freshest. And like for us, example, people come and buy ours. We don't have wax on them or anything. Straight from us, we later will ship them all to a place that stores them throughout the winter they have a it's called a controlled atmosphere and they take out the oxygen in the room and it helps them not to go bad so those are the kind that they'll be shipping to the stores like january february but um i think if i if i go to the grocery store in the winter and i want apples i always either go for honey crisp or fuji because i know they're the crispiest and they are the ones that last the longest (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh, those are the best. Those are my wife and I's favorite. We love Honey Crisp and um, Fuji apples. Those are delicious.
1: Yes, yes. that's what I tell people if you buy a <laughs> box of Fuji right now, you'll and you don't eat it up, you know, within a month or whatever, they'll still be good by December. Yeah, especially if you can keep them cold. If you can keep them in a fridge, they'll last for a long time.
0: Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, that's pretty good. You, you know what? Random question. Going off of that, um, I've seen like a lot of people buying fruit and vegetables, especially now during COVID. And they're freezing it. So do you have any advice on if people want to like stock up on cherries or apples or anything? What's the best way to preserve any of that stuff for the long run, like in the freezer?
1: Um, I freeze a lot of peaches and usually sweet cherries. I try to just because I make a lot of smoothies for my kids. And obviously, I think that it, it holds its nutritional value more when you are able to let it ripen and freeze it rather than buying you know, stuff that's already frozen at the store. Those ones are as good too, but I feel like like ours, for example, will have more flavor because I can let it get ripe and freeze it at what I like it to taste like. But apples, I've never froze apples. I've seen a lot of people do canned apples, like a co- it'd be cooked. But apples, I don't know if apples would freeze way well unless you're going to just use them for a smoothie type thing. But peaches, I do peaches. I've even froze our pluots before. Those those will freeze like a grape kind of. I know a lot of people like to eat frozen grapes. So those are those are good frozen. But my neighbor actually was gonna freeze. She had a bunch of pears that she she canned some and then she had some leftover and she was gonna try freezing them. And she said they were really good frozen. Too. <laughs> so oh wow, that's not I bad. I don't freeze a lot of those type of things. I do peaches and cherries mostly.
0: There you go. Yeah, we freeze strawberries and blueberries, I think. And those are always good. Like, I mean, frozen strawberries in a smoothie is always a good go to. And oh, yeah. even I've heard I've heard stories of people like freezing grapes, and then they'll put it in their wine or something instead of like an ice cube. I'm like, well, that that's a real fancy way to do it. So that's one way. to oh, eat yeah. grapes, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So so what exactly do you know kind of what Utah agriculture is like? I know, I mean, I see commercials on t v all the time for Utah tourism, and I mean it just looks absolutely beautiful, like I've always wanted to go to I think isn't Bryce Canyon in Utah? Yes, okay, yeah, that's on the bucket list. I gotta go there so what what exactly is Utah agriculture like? Is it a lot of kind of fruit crops kind of like you guys, or how diverse is it?
1: um I feel like like for example I had mentioned I'm a part of the farm Bureau, and you know I go to a lot of their events or whatever, but there's not. I have like the ones here in Utah County. Oh, there's there's mostly orchards here in Utah County. I know there's some up in Brigham City and that. I don't know a lot of those farmers up north. We're kind of in central Utah. And then down south, I know there are some some orchards down south, but I think more there's more there's a lot of um, ranching, alfalfa, corn, those type of crops as well here. So I feel like, I feel like it's a pretty good mixture of agriculture here.
0: Gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah. Pretty diverse state, beautiful state, diverse state in terms of agriculture. Yes. That's awesome. So do you guys have any future plans? I mean, how are you looking to grow McMullen orchards? I mean, are y'all going to kind of expand land wise, start some more crops or what are kind of your future goals?
1: Um, it's hard to say cause I'm not really in the decision process of that. <laughs> but. <laughs> I don't know if they even really have a plan right now you know it's kind of just they're just kind of going by the seat of their pants I feel like and you know we we, we're still doing what they've been doing for years Uh, my older brother has stepped in and he's kind of one who he wants to make I guess future better at for the future and changes and you know they know that if they, if it keeps going, it's going to be our, our next generation who's going to be taking care of it. But yeah, as far as I, I don't know what their plans are is for me, it's just, I just hope it's around for my kids to be able to work <laughs> on the farm.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. That'd be cool. Kind of continue the, the family legacy.
1: Yeah. Like I, you know, I grew up starting, I started working when I was 10 in the cherries and I remember when I was younger, I used to think it's so not fair. Like, all my friends get a play all summer and I have to go to work. <laughs> and then, as <laughs> what, I got, What are the
0: like, downsides of farm life?
1: Yeah. But then, as I got, like, I don't know, high school age and FFA, and I actually learned, like, hey, I'm one of the only kids who has money. <laughs> you know, like, I <laughs> was able to, I didn't make very much. I think I started out at like four bucks an hour or something, but I actually had money where a lot of kids, you know, there's no kids who can work at 10 and make money unless it's going and mowing somebody's lawn or, you know, things like that. But during the summer, it was, it was a lot of work. And so I really hope that my kids will be able to learn good work ethics and be able to work on the farm as well.
0: Kind of going off of that, what would you say are kind of the best, like the biggest blessings of working with a family farm? I mean, obviously you get to carry on the family tradition, but I mean, what are some other perks that a lot of people kind of really wouldn't realize? Um
1: the pros, I guess. It's it's hard because it's family family farms can be hard just because you're it's growing so much now that like I said it's my brothers and my cousins who are kind of the next generation, but it's been it's good because I feel like we're close a close family in a lot of ways with my dad's whole side of the family where you know we worked a lot of times we worked together growing up we were oh we knew like you know my little brother and my cousins were driving the shakers and i was out on the pad helping grade the cherries and it was just it's i feel like that there's a not a lot of families who get to work side by side with even their first cousins let you know their siblings let alone their cousins so that's one thing that i've i think is really awesome for our family and you know my kids I take my oldest daughter to the farmer's market with me and my cousin is usually there with her daughter. And so it's nice because I feel like they're, they're learning a lot more than just work ethics, you know, learning to talk to the public. And there's a lot of things that I feel like it's, it's crazy to think the things that they can learn at such a young age.
0: Oh yeah, no, I can imagine. I, I know I've heard, you know, you hear all the time, never work with family, but then you also hear a lot of great success stories and just, I mean, how beneficial and how impactful it can be to work for like a family farm or a family business. And so that's good that you guys have kind of such a good relationship going on and kind of a great business. I mean, that's great. If if my wife and I are ever in Utah, we will definitely have to stop by and buy some of you guys' peaches. My wife is, she is obsessed with peaches and the <laughs> Chick-fil-A peach milkshake. So we'll have to get some peaches and make a fresh milkshake.
1: Yes, for sure. We, I would love to take you on a tour of the farm.
0: <laughs> oh, deal. That would be amazing. That would be so fun. Well, Angie, this has been a great conversation. Um, If people want to follow you guys, you're on Instagram. Um, Where else can they go to kind of follow you and see what the family farm is up to?
1: Um, We have a a website, McMullenOrchards.com, or just on Facebook as well. Our Instagram and Facebook are both just Orchards. And that's it. I'm kind of the one who helps run the social media aspect. My cousin does the the website. And he has, we just got a new website this, this year and it looks a lot better than our old one. It's really nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I was checking it out before. It looks really nice. It's like very up to date with videos and pictures and stuff. It's, it's very 2020. I like it. It The, the good 2020, not the crazy 2020. So it's a very <laughs> good website.
1: Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, so if you're here, you got to try, you got to come when we have our pluots. Those are our big, I guess, uh, a huge hit right now. It's, is pluots and there's not a lot of farmers that grill them right now so if you ever come that's what you need to try is our flavor grenade pluots
0: (laughs) deal yeah that sounds delicious we'll have to try that it sounds like you're you're finding a little niche with that and kind of taking advantage which is awesome
1: (laughs) yeah it's been it's been good it's it's crazy because there's some years we have tons and some years we hardly have any people you know are still looking for them like this year we We still have a lot of people asking for them, and they're all gone this year. Same with peaches, though; peaches are gone.
0: Oh yeah, I can imagine. That's well. I hope you guys don't have like fifteen percent of peaches next year. I mean, that's crazy. It's down eighty-five percent. I mean, dang.
1: Yeah, it was a crazy year. We only we probably had about a half a crop this year, but still, for us, you know, like I said, it was it was nice to not see so much go to waste. That's one thing I also think that a lot of people don't understand is we have dump trucks that go bad before we can sell them or, you know, we're always sorting them. And so it's a lot of pigs get rotten peaches.
0: <laughs> I'm sure they're not complaining. I'm sure it's a little delicious <laughs> no, for them. Good treats.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, it's, you can't, anything on the the floor of the orchards and that, that all is waste.
0: So well, all about sustainability, it sounds like you guys are kind of doing a good thing to kind of stop all the waste and especially, I, I've, I've learned a lot. Actually, I think there's one, I can't remember where I saw it, but there's a place in Las Vegas where this farmer, he has a whole bunch of pigs and he's in like the middle of a development area and everybody's been trying to buy up his land, but he buys um, food scraps from all the casinos and hotels and he feeds it to his pigs. But it's oh, in like yeah. the middle of the housing community. And I'm like, that's such a good idea. And people are like, oh, well, it stinks. But also, I mean, he's helping out the environment so much because so much food is not going away. So it's like a win-win, oh, yeah. not not for those locals, but for the environment and for him.
1: Yeah, no kidding. That's, a lot of people <laughs> will, will ask us, well, can't you donate to a food bank or and all the, I don't know, regulations, I guess, that they have, there's no way that they could take that much fruit. <laughs> And do anything, you know. It's one thing to have some fresh, fresh stuff, but it can go bad so fast. That's why most of the time it's you know shelf stable items that the food banks will take and stuff. I get that question all the time. Like, well, can't you do something for the needy? And (laughs) it's like, well, I wish we could. They'd come here and ask us for some.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I saw so many um, articles about that whenever p- the pandemic started. Like, a lot of people were seeing, like, here in Florida, we were dumping so many, like, squash and zucchinis and summer crops. And, like, well, why don't you donate it all? But all these experts and farmers were saying, well, we donate some, but food banks only have so many refrigerators or freezers. Like, they can't store it all. And we have so much. So we donate what we can, but the rest, there's literally nowhere else to send it. So that's a very yeah. good point.
1: Yeah. That's I, you know, I think a lot of people don't think of that. Oh, I wouldn't have thought that. Yeah, I guess all those peaches would go rotten no matter
0: what. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. All right. Well, Angie, this has been great. I hope you guys continue to be super successful. I'll, I'm excited to follow you guys on on Instagram at Mullen Orchards. We'll link we'll link your um, your website and Instagram everything in the description for this episode, but um best of luck in the future. Can't wait to see what you, what you all are up to and kind of how the family tradition grows. Thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Okay, thank you. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.